Chapter 10 of The Search by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter 10 The end of her chase came so unexpectedly that her wits were completely scattered. Now that she was face to face with the tall soldier, she had nothing to say for her presence there. What would he think of her? How could she explain her coming? She had undertaken the whole thing in such haste that she had not planned ahead. Now she knew that from the start she had understood that she must not explain how she came to be possessed of any information concerning him. She felt a kind of responsible shame for her old playmate Harry Wainwright and a certain loyalty toward her own social set that prevented her from that, the only possible explanation that could make her coming justifiable so now in the brief interval before he had recognized them she must stage the next act and she found herself unable to speak her throat dry her lips for the instant paralyzed it was the jubilant little mother that stepped into the crisis and did the most natural thing in the world john oh john it's really you we've caught you she cried and the troubled young soldier peering into the dusk to discover if here was a vehicle he might presume to commandeer to help him out of his predicament lifted startled eyes to the two faces in the car and strode forward abandoning with a clang the wrench with which he had been working on the car mother he said a shade of deep anxiety in his voice what is the matter how came you to be here why i came after you she said laughing like a girl we're going to see that you get to camp in time. We've made pretty good time so far. Jump in quick and we'll tell you the rest on the way. We mustn't waste time. Cameron's startled gaze turned on Ruth now, and a great wonder and delight sprang up in his eyes. It was like the day when he went away on the train, only more so, and it brought a rich flush into Ruth's cheeks. As she felt the hot waves, she was glad that she was sitting behind the light what you he breathed wonderingly but this is too much and after the way i treated you his mother looked wonderingly from one to the other get in john quick we mustn't lose a minute something might delay us later it was plain she was deeply impressed with the necessity for the soldier not to be found wanting yes please get in quickly and let us start then we can talk said ruth casting an anxious glance toward the other car his hand went out to the door to open it, the wonder still shining in his face, when a low murmur like a growl went up behind him. Ruth looked up, and there, in the full glare of the lights, stood two burly civilians and a big soldier. Oh, I say, drawled the soldier in no very pleasant tone. You're not going to desert us that way. Not after Pass came out of his way for us. I didn't think you had a yellow streak. Cameron paused, and a troubled look came into his face. He glanced at the empty back seat with a repression of his disappointment in the necessity. There's another fellow here that has to get back at the same time I do, he said, looking at Ruth hesitatingly. Certainly, ask him, of course. Ruth's voice was hearty and put the whole car at his disposal. There's room for you too, Chalmers, he said with relief. And Passmore will be glad to get rid of us, I suspect. He'll be able to get home soon. There isn't much the matter with that engine. If you do what I told you to that carburetor, you'll find it will go all right. Come on, Chalmers, we ought to hurry. No, thanks. I stick to my friends, said the soldier shortly. As you please, said Cameron, stepping on the running board. 
Not as you please, said a gruff voice. I'm running this party, and we all go together, see? A heavy hand came down upon Cameron's shoulders with a mighty grip. Cameron landed a smashing blow under the man's chin, which sent him reeling, and sprang inside as Ruth threw in the clutch and sent her car leaping forward. The two men in front were taken by surprise and barely got out of the way in time, but instantly recovered their senses and sprang after the car, the one nearest her reaching for the wheel. Cameron, leaning forward, sent him rolling down the gully, and Ruth turned the car sharply to avoid the other car which was occupying as much of the road as possible, and left the third man scrambling to his knees behind her. It was taking a big chance to dash past that car in the narrow space over rough ground, but Ruth was not conscious of anything but the necessity of getting away. In an instant they were back in the road and flashing along through the dark, mother you better let me help you back here said her son leaning forward and almost lifting his mother into the back seat then stepping over to take her place beside ruth better turn out your back lights he said in a quiet steady voice they might follow you know they're in an ugly mood they've been drinking then the car isn't really out of commission not seriously we're not on the right road did you know this road goes to the pine tree inn and singleton Cameron gave a low exclamation. Then they're headed for more liquor. I thought something was up. Is there a crossroad back to the pike? I'm not sure. Probably. I know there is about three miles farther on, almost to the end. This is an awful mess to have got you into. I'd rather have been in the guardhouse than have this happen to you. Please don't, said Ruth earnestly. It's an adventure. I'm enjoying it. I'm not a doll to be kept in cotton wool. I should say not, said Cameron, with deep admiration in his tone. You haven't shown yourself much of a doll tonight, some doll to run a car the way you did in the face of all that. I'll tell you better what I think when we get out of this. They are coming, I believe, said Ruth, glancing back. Don't you see a light? Look. Mrs. Cameron was looking, too, through the little back window. Now she spoke quietly. Wouldn't it be better to get out and slip up in the woods till they have gone by? no mother said cameron quickly just you sit quiet where you are and trust us something awful might happen john no mother don't you worry he said in his gentle manly tone then to ruth there's a big barn ahead there on your left keep your eye out for a road around behind it if we could disappear it's too dark for them to know where we are would you care to turn out all the lights and let me run the car i don't want to boast but there isn't much of anything i can't do with a car when i have to instantly ruth switched out every light and with a relieved please gave up the wheel to him they made the change swiftly and silently and ruth took the post of lookout yes i can see two lights it might be someone else mightn't it not likely on this road but we're not taking any chances and with that the car bumped down across a gully and lurched up to a grassy approach to a big stone barn that loomed above them then slid down another bank and passed close to a great haystack whose clutching straw fingers reached out to brush their faces and so swept softly around to the rear of the barn and stopped cameron shut off the engine instantly and they sat in utter silence listening to the oncoming car it's they all right whispered cameron softly that's passmore's voice he converses almost wholly in choice profanity his mother's hand stole out to touch his shoulder and he reached around and held it close don't tremble mother we're all safe 
he whispered in a tone so tender that ruth felt a shiver of pleasure pass over her for the mother who had such a son also there was the instant thought that a man could not be wholly rotten when he could speak to his mother in that tone there was a breathless space when the car paused on the road not far away and their pursuers stood up and looked around shouting to one another there was no mistaking their identity now ruth shivered visibly one of them got out of the car and came toward the barn they could hear him stepping over the stony roadside cameron laid a quiet hand of reassuring protection on her arm that steadied her and made her feel wonderfully safe once more and strange to say she found herself lifting up another queer little kind of a prayer it had never been her habit to pray much except in form her heart had seldom needed anything that money could not supply the man had stumbled across the gully and up toward the barn they could hear him swearing at the unevenness of the ground and ruth held her breath and prayed again a moment more and he was fumbling about for the barn door and calling for a flashlight then like the distant sound of a mighty angel of deliverance came the rumble of a car in the distance the men heard it and took it for their quarry on ahead they climbed into their car again and were gone like a flash john cameron did not wait for them to get far away he set the car in motion as soon as they were out of sight and its expensive mechanism obeyed his direction almost silently as he guided it around the barn behind the haystack and back again into the road over which they had just come now he said as he put the car to its best speed and switched on its headlights again now we can beat them to it i guess if they come back this way which i don't think they will the car dashed over the ground and the three sat silent while they passed into the woods and over the place where they had first met cameron ruth felt herself trembling again and her teeth beginning to chatter from the strain cameron seemed to realize her feeling and turned toward her you've been wonderful he said flashing a warm look at her and you too mother lifting his voice a little and turning his head toward the back seat i don't believe any other two women in brinehaven could have gone through a scene like that and kept absolutely still you were great there was that in his voice that lifted ruth's heart more than any praise she had ever received for anything she wanted to make some acknowledgment but she found to her surprise that tears were choking her throat so that she could not speak it was the excitement of course she told herself and struggled to get control of her emotion they emerged from the woods and in sight of the pike at last and cameron drew a long breath of relief there i guess we can hold our own with any one now he said settling back in his seat but relaxing none of his vigilance toward the car which sped along the highway like a winged thing but it's time i heard how you came to be here i haven't been able to explain it during the intervals when i've had any chance at all to think about it oh i just called up your mother to know if it would help you any to be taken to your train said ruth quickly and she mentioned that she was worried lest you would miss it so i suggested that we try to catch you and to take you on to wilmington or baltimore or wherever you have to go i do hope this delay hasn't spoiled it all how long does it take to go from baltimore to camp i've taken the baltimore trip myself in five hours it's only quarter past six yet do you think we can make it but you can't go all the way to baltimore he exclaimed what would you and mother do at that time of night alone after i go to camp you see it isn't as if i could stay and come back with you oh we'll just go to a hotel in baltimore won't we miss cameron we'll be all right if we only get you safe to camp do you think we can do it 
Oh, yes, we can do it all right with this car, but I'm quite sure I ought not to let you do it just for me. What will your people think? I've left word that I've gone to a friend in trouble, twinkled Ruth. I'll call them up when I get to Baltimore and make it all right with Auntie. She will trust me. Cameron turned and looked at her wonderingly, reverently. It's wonderful that you should do this for me, he said in a low tone, quite low, so that the watching wistful mother could not even guess what he was saying. It's not in the least wonderful, said Ruth brightly. Remember the hedge and Chuck Woodcock. She was beginning to get her self-possession again. You are paying that old score back in compound interest, said Cameron. That was a wonderful ride rushing along beneath the stars, going back to childhood's days and getting acquainted again where they left off. Ruth forgot all about the cause of her wild chase and the two young men she had left disconsolate in her library at home, forgot her own world in this new beautiful one, wherein her spirit really communed with another spirit, forgot utterly what Wainwright had said about Cameron as more and more, through their talk, she came to see the fineness of his character. They flashed on from one little village to another, leaving one clustering glimmer of lights in the distance, only to pass to other clustering groups. It was in their favor that there were not many other travelers to dispute their way, and they were hindered very little. Cameron had made the trip many times and knew the roads well. They did not have to hesitate and inquire the way. They made good time. The clocks were striking ten when they reached the outskirts of Baltimore. Now, said Ruth, in a sweetly imperious tone, consulting her timepiece to be sure she counted the clock strokes correctly, do you know what you are going to do, Mr. Corporal? You are going to land your mother and me at the nearest hotel and take the car with you back to camp. You said one of the fellows had his car down there, so I'm sure you'll be able to find a place to put it overnight. If you find a way to send the car back to us in the morning, well and good. If not, your mother and I will go home by train, and the chauffeur can come down tomorrow and bring back the car. Or better still, you can drive yourself up the next time you get leave off. There was much argument about the matter within a brief space of time, but in the end, which came in five minutes, Ruth had her way, and the young soldier departed for his camp in the gray car, with ample time to make the short trip, leaving his mother and Ruth at a Baltimore hotel, after having promised to call up in the morning and let them know what he could do about the car. Ruth selected a large double room and went at once to the telephone to call up her aunt. She found to her relief that that good lady had not yet returned from her day with a friend in the city, so that no explanations would be necessary that night. She left word with the servant that she was in Baltimore with a friend and would probably be at home the next day sometime. Then she turned to find to her dismay that her companion was sitting in a low-armed chair with tears running down her cheeks. "'Oh, my dear!' she exclaimed, rushing over to her. "'You are all worn out.' Not a bit of it, sobbed the mother with a smile like sunshine through her tears. I was so happy I couldn't keep from crying. Don't you ever get that way? I've just been watching you and thinking what a dear beautiful child you are, and how wonderful God has been to send you to help my boy. Oh, it was so dreadful to me to think of him going down to camp with those men. My dear, I smelt liquor on their breath when they came for him, and I was just crying and praying about it when you called me up. Of course, I knew my boy wouldn't drink, but so many accidents can happen with automobiles when the driver is drunk. My dear, I never can thank you enough. 
they were both too excited to sleep soon but long after the mother was asleep ruth lay awake going over the whole day and wondering there were so many things about the incident of the afternoon and evening now that they were over that were utterly out of accord with her whole life heretofore she felt intuitively that her aunt would never understand if she were to explain the whole proceeding there were so many laws of her little world of conventionalities that she had transgressed and so many qualms of a belated conscience about whether she ought to have done it at all what would cameron think of her anyway her cheeks burned hot in the dark over that question strange she had not thought of it at all either beforehand or while she sat beside him during that wonderful ride and now the thing that wainwright had said shouted itself out to her ears rotten 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 like a dirge suppose he were it couldn't be true it just couldn't but suppose he were well suppose he were how was she hurt by doing a kind act having taken a stand against all her former ideas ruth had instant peace and drifted into dreams of what she had been enjoying the way suddenly lit by a sleepy remembrance of wetherell's declaration he won't drink you can't make him it's been tried again and again there was evidence in his favor why hadn't she remembered that before and his mother she had been so sure of him the telephone bell wakened her with a message from camp his voice greeted her pleasantly with the word that it was all right he had reached camp in plenty of time found a good place for the car and it would be at the hotel at nine o'clock ruth turned from the phone with a vague disappointment he had not said a word of thanks or good-bye or anything only that he must hurry not even a word to his mother but then of course men did not think of those little things perhaps as women did and maybe it was just as well for him to take it all as a matter of course it made it less embarrassing for her but when they went down to the car behold he was in it i got leave off for the morning he explained smiling i told my captain all about how you got me back in time when i'd missed the train and he told me to see you as far as wilmington and catch the noon train back from there he's a peach of a captain if my lieutenant had been there i wouldn't have got a chance to ask him i was afraid of that last night but for good luck the lieutenant has a two days leave this time he's a mess ruth looked at him musingly was harry wainwright the lieutenant they had a golden morning together and talked of many things that welded a friendship already well begun weren't you at all frightened last night asked cameron once looking at the delicate beauty of the face beside him and noting the strength and sweetness of it mrs cameron was dozing in the back seat and they felt quite alone and free ruth looked up at him frankly why yes i think i was for a minute or two while we were behind that barn but did you ever pray when you were in a trying situation he looked down earnestly into her face half startled at her words why i don't know that i ever did i'm not quite sure if it was praying well i don't know that i ever did before she went on thoughtfully but last night when those men got out of their car in front of the barn so near us again i found myself praying she dropped her eyes half embarrassed just as if i were a frightened little child i found myself saying god help us god help us and right away we heard that other car coming and the men went away it somehow seemed well strange i wonder if anybody else ever had an experience like that i've heard of them said cameron gravely 
I've wondered sometimes myself. Do you believe in God? Oh, yes, said Ruth quite firmly. Of course, what use would there be in anything if there wasn't a God? But do you believe we humans can ever really, well, find him? On this earth, I mean. Why, I don't know that I ever thought about it, she answered, bewildered. Find him? In what way do you mean? Why, get in touch with him, get to know him, perhaps. Be on such terms with him that one could call out in a time like last night, you know, or, well, say in a battle. I've been thinking a lot about that lately, naturally. Oh, gasped Ruth softly. Of course, I hadn't thought about that much either. We've been so thoughtless and, and sort of happy, you know, just like butterflies, we girls. I haven't realized that men were going out to face death. It isn't that I'm afraid to die, said Cameron, proudly lifting his chin as if dying were a small matter. Not just the dying part. I reckon I've been through worse than that a dozen times. That wouldn't last long. It's the other part. I have a feeling there'll be a little something more expected of me than just to have tried to get the most fun out of life. I've been thinking if there is a God, he'd expect us to find it out and make things straight between us somehow. I suppose I don't make myself very plain. I don't believe I've known myself just what I mean. I think I understand just a little, said Ruth. I have never thought about it before, but I'm going to now. It's something we ought to think about, I guess. In a sense, it's something that each one of us has to think, whether we are going into battle or not, isn't it? I suppose it is, only we never realize it when things are going along all right, said Cameron. It seems queer that everybody that's ever lived on this earth has had this question to face sooner or later, and most of them haven't done much about it. The few people who profess to have found a way to meet it we call cranks, or else pick flaws in the way they live although it does seem to me that if I really found God so I was sure he was there and cared about me, I'd manage to live a little decenter life than some do. They drifted into other topics, and all too soon they reached Wilmington and had to say goodbye. But the thought stayed with Ruth more or less during the days that followed, and crept into her letters when she wrote to Corporal Cameron, as she did quite often in these days, and still no solution had come to the great question, which was so like the one of old, what shall I do to be saved? It came and went during the days that followed, and now and again the fact that it had originated in a talk with Cameron clashed badly in her mind with that word rotten that Wainwright had used about him, so that at last she resolved to talk to her cousin, Captain LaRue, the next time he came up. Cousin Captain, she said, do you know a boy at your camp from Brine Haven named John Cameron? Indeed I do, said the captain. What kind of a man is he? The best young man I know in every way, answered the captain promptly. If the world were made up of men like him, it would be a pretty good place in which to live. Do you know him? A little, said Ruth evasively, with a satisfied smile on her lips. His mother is in our Red Cross now. She thinks he's about right, of course, but mothers usually do, I guess. I'll have to tell her what you said. It will please her. He used to be in school with me years ago. I haven't seen much of him since. Well, all I have to say is improve your acquaintance if you get the chance. He's worth ten to one of your society youths that loll around here almost every time I come. Now, cousin Captain, chided Ruth, 
but she went off smiling and she kept all his words in her heart. End of chapter 10